Jerry O'Neill and this is episode four of Thinking Out Loud. I want to focus this podcast on something that's just already happened in the last day or two and it's basically the big tech and big media blackout of the US presidential elections. So as many people may realize at this stage, uh, the Hunter Biden story about his laptop that broke last Thursday week now, it's nearly two weeks at this stage, kicked off, triggered a response with uh, mainstream media, big mainstream media outlets and big tech, uh, where they immediately went to suppress the information being shared by the New York Post and targeted any prominent accounts that were amplifying the news story before taking down the story from Twitter in particular and Facebook <clears throat> severely suppressed the story as well. That give that gives us a great idea of what's coming down the track for the next two weeks. This week and next week are going to be very difficult weeks to obtain information, facts about the election and the election results in each state. Why do I say that or why am I so certain about it? Well, we'll start today's story with trying to piece together a couple of strands of information that are outside of the United States that you might not be aware of, but that have um, an overlap with the behavior of Twitter, Facebook, Google, and the big five or six media news outlets in the United States. So last night I was going through my Twitter account and there's I always like to find follow the Global Times. It's, the, it's China Chinese state affiliated media, and it's the English language version because it's a propaganda. It's basically the propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist Party. So I was quite surprised yesterday to find a tweet from the Global Times that came out around one o'clock in the morning, and it went as follows: From Tuesday today until November ninth. Huawei browser will begin inspecting and rectifying issues related to internet broadcasting. During that period, it will remove information that violates rules and regulates self-media accounts. In a nutshell, Huawei are telling its users that it's going to begin censorship of what's on their phones. Now think about this for a second. Huawei is the biggest mobile phone provider in the world. People in the United States may not fully understand that, but it's the largest manufacturer of phones in the world. So if I go into my phone from today onwards 
and try to source information. Where would I source it? And well, normally I would, may, might go to Facebook or Twitter, or I might browse Google, or I might browse the, the Huawei browser that's built into the software on the phone. All four of them methods of obtaining information are now being censored. We know this quite clearly from the way Google, Facebook, and Twitter have treated the Hunter Biden laptop story. It's brought it into sharp focus. Now we have the largest mobile phone company in the world telling us that for a two-week period, it's going to begin inspecting and rectifying issues related to internet broadcasting. Now, I find that highly questionable, and I think you will too, that it will suddenly end on November 9th, which is about five days after the election. So when you couple this with what's going on in the United States, it's quite clear that information is going to be very hard to come by that isn't in some way propagandized or altogether being blocked. So I just wanted to give people a few pointers on where to access information, especially if you're kind of a cent somebody that's in the center, whether you're in the left or the right or whatever, but you just want ac accurate information. There are a number of places where I think you can trust the people are the outlets to give you as near to factual information as is possible to find. First of all, I would say if you're on Twitter or Facebook, follow Matt Taibbi or Glenn Greenwald. They're two journalists that I would place a lot of stock in. Um, they have been highly critical of their own industry for the past two or three years. And many people might know that Glenn Greenwald was one of the journalists that broke the Edward Snowden story many years ago, five or six years ago now at this stage. So again, I would closely look at what those guys are saying about stuff. Even though their both would be considered slightly to the re to the left, their their truth first and opinion after, rather than opinion searching, opinion masquerading as truth. Secondly, there are a few notable networks outside of the United States. And I, I would caution that I mean, a lot of people that are in the United States will be looking outside of the United States to see what's going on inside of the United States and in the next two weeks. So again, I would point to, in the UK, I would point to Telegraph. And I would also point to Australia's Sky News Australia as being two news outlets who have not been afraid to book, book the mainstream narrative on U.S. politics and particularly President Trump. And they both would have covered um, the Hunter Biden laptop story to a degree. So they're definitely two I would keep an eye on over the course of the next two weeks as an outside pair of eyes semi-objectively looking at what's going on in the United States. Obviously, most Americans have their own sources of information, especially on the right, whether it's Fox News, the Bongino Report, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro. These are all, these will be all important news outlets in the next weeks. But one never knows how, what efforts and what lengths authorities are going to 
in the United States to suppress how, how many people can see what's coming out of these those three outlets in particular. Now, this this news story from the Global Times is it's it's actually quite frightening because there could be five or six hundred million people outside of the United States who don't know what's actually going on in the United States when their mobile phones smartphones are actively working against providing them with accurate information so bear that in mind as we are moving into the, the most turbulent two weeks of you know any election cycle that I can remember now I want to move on to a story that's in the Daily Telegraph which I've mentioned before and which I think is probably relevant to the overall shifting of Teutonic plates that seems to be occurring between the United States and China. And it's a story about the Chinese billionaire Jack Ma and the IPO of another one of his companies uh, that's due to take place in the um, Chinese uh, in the Shanghai stock market in the next week. And I'm just going to read it, read the article from Matthew Field. Six years ago, Jack Ma was in the middle of a crowd of admiring supporters as he rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange for Alibaba's record 25 billion float. Now Ma, who is worth 48 billion, looks set to break the record as he gears up for what is said to be the world's biggest ever initial public offering when Ant Group goes public. Yesterday, Ant received bids that would value it at $35 billion in a dual listing in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Now let's stop there for a minute. The fact that we all know that China have introduced heavy security laws on Hong Kong over the summer and that effectively Hong Kong is now under the direct control of the Chinese government. And we also know that it's citizens that have dual citizenship with the citizens of Hong Kong or have been granted the ability or access to become citizens of the United Kingdom. So it would be showing just quite just how serious the United Kingdom are taking the situation in Hong Kong is that it's basically offering an asylum to Hong Kong citizens <coughs> or a certain pr proportion of them. Now, the dual listing in Hong Kong and Shanghai, this is the first test of the American investor class since this has happened because the reason it's being listed on the Hong Kong exchange is to invite the Western capital to invest in this IPO. I think it'd be absolutely shocking if there are large wealth funds looking to invest in this IPO given the current economic, political and health connotations of the world we live in at the moment. So let's just go on again because there's a, the more interesting aspect of this comes in the next couple of paragraphs. The Chinese fintech giant is going to make some investors, not least Ma who owns around 9% of Ant, filthy rich. Ant's IPO is set to surpass Saudi, Saudi Aramco's record $29 billion sale last year. This is what Jack Ma had to say about this on Saturday. 
This was the first time such a big listing, the largest in human history, was priced outside of New York City. But while Alibaba's float was a high point in East-West relations and is faced with U.S. blacklists, there are also concerns from analysts over that governance of the Chinese giant. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. What you can see the Chinese Communist Party are trying to do, and Jack Ma is a member of the Chinese Communist Party, he has to be. Um, any company of any significance size in China must have a member of the Chinese Communist Party on its board of directors. And Jack Ma is the friendly face of the CCP to the business world, the global business world. So what you can see the Chinese are trying to do here is shift the global capital um, reliance on the New York Stock Exchange in the midst of this crisis east to Shanghai and Hong Kong. Now, it will tell us a lot about Western global capitalists if they invest in this IPO in any significant manner. But we'll return to the article. One fund manager told to comment, one fund manager commented earlier this year, it makes a lot of money, but it's not going to make money for our investors. They, man, the insiders, have all the control. If there's a breakdown between the USA and China, there will be very little value to this business. We'll stop there for a moment. That That is good that, you know, fund managers are going on the record with their concerns about this IPO because it will be very bad business for the West in the long term. And that is based on what it is Ant Group do. And I think when you see what Ant Group do, and we tie it into what stuff that Huawei are after announcing in the last two weeks, uh, for the next two weeks, it might make a little bit more sense. Ant Group was founded 16 years ago as part of Alibaba. Starting life as a payments processor for the giant Chinese equivalent of Amazon. This evolved into Alipay, a so-called super app used by more than 1 billion people, most of them in China, I might add. The app lets users send and receive money, access credit card and utility bills, trade stocks and monitor credit scores. Three years ago, it surged from mobile into the physical world, seeing millions of merchants in China sticking Alipay QR codes in their windows and on tills. This meant consumers could scan a code and pay with their smartphone. Amid coronavirus, it has also become a key tool for China in contact tracing and monitoring cases. This has led to explosive growth. Around 17 trillion worth of payments were processed by Ant in the year to June. Its revenues rose 42% year-on-year in the nine months to September 2020 when it made 17.7 billion. It reported profits of 3.2 billion dollars in the first half of this year. Now we'll stop there for a moment. So basically we're having the IPO of one of the largest payment processing companies in the world and it also happens to be Chinese and it also happens to be app-led smartphone-led. So if you tie this in to Huawei which is already the largest mobile phone provider in the world you suddenly see that the Chinese Communist Party, if they were made able to export Antpay or Alipay out through their phones into the Western global arena, they would suddenly become not alone the largest mobile phone producer in the world, but the 
largest mobile phone and banking provider in the world. So think of your, if you have a, a mobile phone in your hand as you're watching this or listening to this, just take a look at it and think that everything, every news item that you're looking at on your phone is curated by the Chinese Communist Party. Every bank transaction, shop transaction, online transaction is accessible to the Chinese Communist Party. Every move you make, every payment you process, every piece of information you digest is at the disposal of the Chinese Communist Party. I think this is a very worrying development. And I think the timing of it is set to, the timing of it is is not an accident. There is so much turbulence in the world because of the United States presidential elections, because of the global COVID pandemic that each and every country is having difficulty with containing now that we seem to have a second and second and third waves in Europe and the United States. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And in this environment, we have the largest IPO recorded about to take place in Shanghai and the Hong Kong stock markets. So I think this is something we need to keep a very, very close eye on because it's just another example to me of how the Chinese Communist Party's influence in our world is almost complete with little to no resistance of the political classes, the financial classes, the technology classes, and even the health classes that are supposed to be there to protect us and question all of this stuff that is going on. So I just thought that's an interesting window into something that's happening that's quite huge that won't be mentioned too much in the United States over the next two weeks. But I think if you factor in that with what Huawei are proposing to do on censoring phones for the next two weeks to the November the 9th, the timing, you know, you could, it's, what's the famous phrase I, people are constantly saying at the moment, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but um, I do believe, I don't believe in coincidences either. So that's one thing to keep, uh, to keep your eyes on. So, we're left with the problem of each and every day, where, where, where can we get some accurate information, even if it's a little biased, where can we get it? Well, I'll tell you where I get my election information. Is There is a professor from the University of Florida, and you can follow him on Twitter. I think it's at Elect Project. And they, are, they have curated all of the 50 states and their election boards into one site and are updating all voting information in real time as they get as it's being produced by the states. And so you've heard me referencing statistics for the last three episodes regarding the early voting in the United States. The majority of my information is coming from or through from that um, university project and and are going directly to individual states to dig down deeper on the data. So as far as I'm aware, it is a semi, non, it's a non-partisan effort. I've been following it for about three weeks now. And the 
to date, the people behind it have not been hugely political in the information they're producing on it. I would say they have a slight le- I, I would say they have a slight lean to the left, but the information seems to be broadly accurate. It's the policy of every state to produce statistics once once a day on the state of their elections. On various days, that will involve each county reporting to a central election set of officials, their particular county's presidential numbers or numbers of people that have voted. They're collated and aggregated and filed on publicly to the election board's websites for that particular state. So what I would say to people, whatever state you might be in the United States, go to your sec- go to either your state's election board website or go to the Department of the Secretary of State for your state and they will have links to where this information is made publicly available. I would not trust information that's coming out of any of the mainstream media uh, outlets on the election night. I have no idea whether they're going to produce any results or any counts on the night due to the fact that there is, at last count, already over 43 mail-in ballots received and approved, and they'll all have to be opened, verified, and counted. As to whether they'll be counted with the normal ballots that people have cast by going into a polling station, or whether they're counted separately, I'm not, I don't have visibility on that yet, but I suspect it differs state to state. What we do know is that this, you know, this election is going to be the highest turnout of the electorate in history. More people are going to vote in this election than have ever voted in an election in the United States. That much is clear from the early voting day, where most most states that are operating big early vote um, operations are already reporting record turnout in the early votes, and it hasn't eased off in any great de- to, to any great degree over the last two or three days, and that you know that everything's indicating that it's going to be a a 10 to 15 million, and there's going to be 10 or 15 million additional voters in this election over and above the last one. Now, moving on, and to stay tied into the misinformation operation that seems to be already in place for this election by mainstream media and big tech. Overnight, there were huge riots in Philadelphia. You may not have read about this in any major news outlet because they were described as protests against the Philadelphia Police Department. As of Monday lunchtime, over 30 officers have been injured in last night's riots. And what we can tell so far is Black Lives Matter slash Antifa agitators attacked a police officer with a knife in somewhere in downtown Philadelphia yesterday, the officer returned fire and shot dead assailant. This triggered mass riots and attacks of the police who were 
the, the riot police who had been um, dispersed to the area. As of now, this rioting slash protesting is still ongoing. And it would seem to me that it's pretty well organized and may well be a dress rehearsal for what is to come on election night in the USA. It may or may not have passed your attention that yesterday, President Trump made three campaign stops in Pennsylvania, the state that holds Philadelphia. And they were, by varying accounts, attended by between ten to 15,000 people at each campaign stop. Joe Biden, similarly, had what you could cry a campaign stop somewhere in Philadelphia that was basically a five-minute walk out of a building, stopping, mumbling a few words, losing his train of thought, and quickly ended once a journalist started to ask him a couple of robust questions. It all told it lasted about 10 to 12 minutes. So the contrast between the methodology being utilized by Joe Biden, which is all online and through surrogates, to Trump, which is all in person with very few surrogates outside of his own campaign staff. I'm astounded at the number of Republican senators who who remain quiet are non-vocal in their support of the president in this final stretch. He's basically delivered three conservative Supreme Court justices for them in his term, culminating last night again with the passing of the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett as a Supreme Court justice, 52 votes to 48 in the U.S. Senate. She was sworn in at the White House within an hour and a half of the confirm- confirmation vote by Justice Clarence Thomas and will be pretty busy in the next two weeks with all the um, emerging lawsuits that have are that are already set, starting to erupt uh, and rise to the attention of the U.S. Supreme Court. Her elevation to the Supreme Court theoretically gives a 6-3 conservative majority in the Supreme Court. However, you know, it's a moot point as to whether you could consider John Roberts a conservative, considering that on nearly every major Supreme Court decision that's come out of that court in the last six months, he sided with the more liberal justices on the bench. So conservatives in the United States are not very happy with John Roberts, and John Roberts would be one of, I think, Bush's appoint a Bush, Bush, George W. Bush uh, appointee. But suffice to say, Amy Coney, Amy Coney Barrett is going to play a, a central role in probably some very important decisions that are going to come before us, come before that court in the next two months, as this let, as this race tightens it's becoming clearer and clearer that it could end up being decided similar to 2000 in the Supreme Court. Um, We'll just have to wait and see on that, but it's definitely looking that way. Okay, so that's just, you know, a bit of a roundup on what's going on in Philadelphia, the rising, escalating tensions each day of this week. I think they're going to ratchet up more and more. It's, it's, it's becoming clear to me that Joe Biden is 
nothing more than a Trojan horse candidate and that Kamala Harris will be the president of the United States should he get elected by the end of 2021 and possibly a lot sooner than that. And we know next to nothing about Senator Harris other than in the U.S. Democratic presidential primaries, less than 2% of the Democratic Party wanted her to be their candidate. She's seen as a very liberal, progressive senator, and she will tie into the AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashid Tlaib side of the party. It will be a radical Green New Deal, climate change, and... Um, big government agenda that, you know, even moderates in the Democratic Party are not too keen about. But this is the issue that the Democratic Party have, because even though they have a larger registered base than the Republicans in the United States, there is a massive fault line between the hard left element of the Democratic Party, who are broadly cheerleading the rioting and looting that's been going on in the United States and calling for things like defund the police departments and that kind of social agenda to the more moderate de Democrats who are, you know, pulled apart with them on subjects like that. So it's an, it's an uneasy coalition and it's starting to come apart at the seams as far as I can see, in that Joe Biden's campaign is literally he cannot open his mouth because if he does, Trump will be on top of him. And if Trump isn't on top of him, the whole, his own hard left of the Democratic Party will be there to greet him. So he's basically shut down his campaign, really, and is relying heavily on advertising and online interaction with prospective voters. Um, they have taken totally different approaches to the final two weeks of the campaign, Joe Biden and President Trump. And I suppose we will see if the Trump if the Trump approach is driving independent voters into his camp or not. We'll know in a week's time. On a lighter note, <laughs> I was flicking through my news feed and I came across Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York, has a book out called American Crisis, Lessons in Leadership. This could only happen in New York or California, where the governor who's presided over the worst death rate in the United States is coming out writing a book, basically telling the audience that what a great job he did. His pivotal decision that was to send coronavirus, people infected with coronavirus into the nursing home sector is widespread. There's widespread agreement that this caused an exponential number of deaths in that state. And he's trying to do two things at the same time that are pulled apart. On the one, time, on the one hand, Governor Cuomo is trying to say that the Trump's response has been the worst response of any nation in the world. And on the other hand, he's trying to say his response was the best of any leader in the world. The, the two of those arguments just do not stand up. His state was the worst. 
in terms of death. I, think, I don't know, is it 35 or 40,000 people died in New York? But his de- clearly his decisions amplified the problem in, the, in New York. There are only two states, I think New Jersey and maybe three, New Jersey and New York, that took this approach of sending patients back into the nursing home sector. And they are the two states that have had the highest percentages of deaths in the United States. So it is quite comical that this man has come out with a book. It's a clear rewriting of history, if you, if you ask me, how he has the time to write a book in the middle of the devastation of New York City and New York State is beyond me. That city has been destroyed, businesses have been destroyed, and last week they had 56 shootings in the city alone. So I would have thought he had a lot more pressing matters to concern himself with than writing a book. There you go, there seems to be eight books a week in the political field coming out at the moment from various sources and I suppose it was just it's just the audacity of it that I I find just wow. Anyway finally we'll move to the last subject of today's podcast and that is something I said I'd get back to today. I was very interested to see what Monday's early voting figures in Florida would would show because, as I've mentioned previously, in the early vote in Florida, over 6 million, six, let me just get the exact number, but I think Florida, Texas and California have account for well over 20 million votes that have already been cast in this election. So it is uh, a significant place to go looking and analyzing data from because of that fact so again florida has an elderly population it's a state that many americans go to retire from all around the united states so just looking on the u.s election projects website uh, as of yesterday evening and as reported this morning by the county ballots of florida 6.4 6.4 million people have already voted there, and that accounts for 45.7% of the registered voters in the state. Now, early last week, the Democrats had a significant advantage in the number of returned mail-in ballots over Republicans. And if we go, if we shoot into the mail-in ballots return, we can see Democrats have 1.8 million returned, and Republicans only have 1.2 million. So there was a 600,000 gap between Republicans and Democrats just on mail-in ballots, and that's as of we we'll say that's as of today, and that was even a little bit higher last week. But um, why it's interesting is that Trump, the Trump campaign, is trying to get people to vote in person, and we will see if the strategy is genius or a disaster in about seven days' time because in a lot of states, the Republicans have a lot of ground to gather based on the fact that Democrats are returning mail-in ballots at a far, far, far higher rate than Republicans. So for me, last week, Florida began its in-person voting where people could go to a polling station and start to vote. And... It was clear in 
a number of states that Republican voters were still kind of sluggish in turning out at the polls, with the notable exception of Texas. But Texas doesn't uh, split their voters into parties for public consumption, so we can't see the number of Democrats and Republicans that have voted in Texas. We have to go down into the counties, uh, to the county level, to try and figure out, you know, Trump strongholds, how are they voting as opposed to cities, which are Democratic strongholds. So it's a lot more work involved. However, Florida is different. And Florida has the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party split. So we can see it quite easily. Now, there was a big call to arms by the Trump campaign to try and get Floridians out voting this week. So I was interested to see if that had any impact on the deficit yesterday. So And it did. Uh, at least 250,000 Republicans went out and voted yesterday in Florida. And the gap in Florida is now down to 300,000. So Democrats have an advantage of 300,000 by registered voters that have voted. And that's a combination of the mail-in vote and the in-person vote. Now, what will be very promising for the Trump campaign is that in-person voting, there has been 2.5 million up till the end of Business Monday. And in that sector, the Trump campaign have a Republican advantage of 320,000 more Republicans have voted in person than Democrats. So that has helped get the overall deficit, which I outlined earlier as being somewhere in the region of 610,000 maybe a week ago, down to, it's basically cut it in half. So if this trend continues over the next week, I think we'll know pretty solidly that Trump is expected to have a massive advantage on November 3rd on the actual election day in terms of voter turnout, that Florida, if I was a, a person looking at this involved with the Trump campaign, I would be very happy with how that state is now starting to trend. I'd, I'd be, I'd say, I'd be safe to say that that deficit of 300,000 will be met up in by the end of the week. And if it isn't, it will be a negligible amount of a difference and it'll be all down to who shows up on November 3rd so I would say that it's odds on at this moment in time that Trump will take Florida and Trump unless there's a mass sending in of ballots between now and November 3rd and I can't see why there would be because 68% of ballots that have been sent out have been returned so like it would be highly unusual if 100% of ballots that were sent out were returned. Like you'd be anything over 90% of a return rate of ballots would lead me to wonder if there is an element of fraud going on because that would be 20 points, 25 points more of a return rate than anything we've seen in any other election. But even at that, um, there is no indication that we should be getting 200,000 mail-in ballots on the last day. Like it, I would have thought based on the return rate, the daily return rate since in-person voting has started, 
the return rate of mail ballots has gone down as people choose voting in person over returning a mail ballot. It's kind of logical enough. So in terms of that, um, Florida is, to my analysis, trending towards Trump. And this week, there are going to be a huge, there's going to be a huge effort by the Trump campaign to get Republicans out voting this week in states that, that they can vote in person to take the pressure off the election turnout that they require to overturn the advantage that Democrats have built up in the mail-in ballot. And just on that score, not every, you know, I won't go into detail about who, uh, only about 10 or 12 states demark ballots by Democrat or Republican. So I'm not going to go into detail on what that split is, but suffice to say there's, you know, there's 43, nearly 44 million mail-in ballots returned. The Democrats have a heavy advantage in that area. In-person votes to date are 22 million. So you can see twice as many people have voted by mail-in ballots than have voted in person. At the end of the election, we'll see what that split is. That split will probably determine who's going to be the winner in terms of Trump and Biden. If it's heavily, if it's still heavily skewed towards mail-in ballots, that's advantage Biden more than likely, and you would the Trump campaign will be hoping that the in-person votes soon start to catch up and overtake the mail-in ballots. But there's a you know there's a twenty million gap there at the moment, and it'll be election day before we really see that deficit being overturned. But at the moment, in the states that I'm looking at where there's huge volumes of people that have already voted, Florida, Texas, um, California, and another state I'm keeping an eye on is Nevada, because I've seen a poll today saying that Biden has a nine-point lead in Nevada. The data I'm seeing is that it's trending Trump based on the people that are starting to vote in person in large numbers, and over a third of the vote is already in, of registered voters have already voted in Nevada. And in the critical Clark County that has Las Vegas, the in-person voting, Trump is beating Biden in the in-person voting in that county every single day since early voting has started. So it is a county that is going to decide the election. And as I've said in previous podcasts, Hillary Clinton won that county by 11 points in 2016. If Trump gets that margin down to four or five percent he's he's definitely going to win the state so again we'll have more information on that state as it becomes available and so that's it just to round up what we kind of covered today is the you know the that kind of shock announcement that huawei are going to start censoring um information on their browsers and we've gone through the Daily Telegraph article with regard to Ant Pay, Ant, the Ant Group and their initial public offering and what that might mean to the mobile banking and mobile payments um, services in our world. It looks like a CCP effort to become the number one mobile payments platform in the Western world, not just in China. We've also had a look at the Philly riots that are ongoing and probably there will be more tonight 
based on what I'm seeing in the news feeds that I follow. And basically, I've tried to provide a couple of information points that you can rely on over the next two weeks in terms of sourcing information that you want, you know, accurate information that is not going to knowingly try to fool the reader. So whether that's Matt TB, who's Rolling Stone, Glenn Greenwald, and, uh, you know, for da data from the election, follow that at elect project on Twitter, and you it'll open up um, the, the election information from all 50 states, and that's raw data. So you can look for on election night if you want to see how particular counties are reporting. It'll be a great source of raw data that you can look up for yourself. And again, news outlets outside of the United States might be quite important to people in the United States over the next two weeks in terms of getting an outsider's look at what's going on in the United States and seeing if it tallies with what you're reading on your social media feeds about the election. And again, that's places like the Daily Telegraph or even the Daily Mail. Sky News Australia is, I find, a great source of information as well because they're not afraid to tackle controversial subjects and particularly the Australians because they're in a, a six-month battle with the Chinese Communist Party since the outbreak of the coronavirus. The, um, and finally, we've just gone through the Florida numbers right up until last report for Monday which was yesterday, the 26th. And you, what we can ascertain there is that the Republican red wave of in-person voting seems to be occurring, and it seems to be occurring at a rate that will please the Trump campaign and will give them hope that that kind of um, performance will replicate itself across key battleground states on Election Day. And... That's all I have to say on today's episode. Um, you can follow me at, at Vox Deplorables, V-O-X-D-E-P-L-O-R-A-B-L-E-S. I'm also, all my, all my podcasts are on Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can go to patreon.com forward slash thinking out loud IRE to follow my episodes and I put some other information and sh show notes data up there as well so that's it for today and thanks for listening